Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. It's Tuesday, January 3rd, 2023. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, are we at the beginning of a new space race? NASA Administrator Bill Nelson thinks we are. Plus, why the father of genetics, Gregor Mendel's skeleton, was dug up last year. And a chance to read history's most famous diarist's words in real time over the next decade. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. NASA Administrator Bill Nelson made headlines over the weekend for stating in an interview with Politico that the U.S. is now in a space race with China. He told the publication, quote, It's a fact. We're in a space race. And it is true that we better watch out that they don't get to a place on the moon under the guise of scientific research. And it's not beyond the realm of possibility that they say, Keep out. We're here. This is our territory. End quote. Nelson's comments come off the back of China's year-end announcement of their long-term goals. Those goals, presented by the nation's main space contractor, the China Aerospace Science and Technology Corporation, or CASC, include a crewed lunar landing by 2030, developing lunar transportation, space infrastructure, and a space governance system. They also plan to continue building out their new space station, establish an autonomous lunar research station by 2025 and launch a Mars sample return mission in the next decade or so. China's Zhurong rover is currently on Mars studying its topography, geology, and atmosphere. Quoting Space News, The plans are presented as following a strategic plan of Communist Party of China General Secretary Xi Jinping to build a strong space nation. The plan is developing within a broader Xi-driven push for technological and economic self-reliance amid the U.S. taking steps to decouple from economic engagement with China. The overarching ambition is to make China one of the world's main aerospace powers by 2030 and become a fully comprehensive space power by 2045. CASC ranked 322 in this year's Fortune 500 list and has previously stated plans to make China a global leader in space technology by 2045, a focus seen by some as a challenge to the U.S. End quote. And Nelson at least seems to be one of those who sees China's rapid acceleration of space technology and exploration in recent years as a potential challenge. He's not alone. The U.S. military and the Pentagon have expressed concern recently about threats to U.S. satellites and security implications. Former commander of the International Space Station and Space Shuttle Terry Virts told Politico, quote, on one level, it's a political competition to show whose system works better. What they really want is respect as the world's top country. They want to be the dominant power on Earth, so going to the moon is a way to show their system is working. And if they beat us back to the moon, it shows they're better than us. 
But there is potentially mischief China can do on the moon. If they set up infrastructure there, they could potentially deny communications, for example. Having them there doesn't make things easier. There is a real concern about Chinese meddling. End quote. Like the original space race, concerns are rooted in mistrust between the nations, making the desire to be the first back to the lunar surface more heightened. And while Artemis 3, the U.S.'s crewed lunar landing, is slated for 2025, most people would say that's an optimistic timeline that's almost certain to be delayed. Meanwhile, China's stated 2030 lunar landing apparently keeps getting pushed earlier. Nelson noted to Politico that there are only so many places on the South Pole of the Moon that are adequate for landing and for harvesting water and so forth. Overlapping landing dates and sites and allocation of resources aside, which could require unprecedented cooperation between the nation's space agencies, not everyone is convinced there would necessarily be security concerns. Victoria Sampson of the Secure World Foundation noted that China and the U.S. are both part of the Outer Space Treaty, which prohibits any nation from making a territorial claim on a celestial body like the moon. And Liu Pengyu, spokesperson for the Chinese embassy in Washington, said in a statement, quote, Some U.S. officials have spoken irresponsibly to misrepresent the normal and legitimate space endeavors of China. China firmly rejects such remarks. Outer space is not a wrestling ground. The exploration and peaceful uses of outer space is humanity's common endeavor and should benefit all. China always advocates the peaceful use of outer space, opposes the weaponization of and arms race in outer space, and works actively toward building a community with a shared future for mankind in the space domain. End quote. Meanwhile, the U.S. Congress just approved a $24.5 billion budget for NASA's fiscal year 2023, half a billion dollars less than President Biden requested, but still a 5% increase over last year, and more than adequate for the Artemis program, according to Nelson. His concerns for getting Artemis 3 launched in time currently come down to two major points. Spacesuits from Axiom, and SpaceX's human landing system. If those companies continue to hit their milestones, Nelson thinks we should stay on the 2025 timeline for Artemis 3. But meanwhile, SpaceX may have to ferry some International Space Station crew members home after a Russian capsule sprang a coolant leak while docked to the ISS. The Soyuz MS-22 spacecraft brought two cosmonauts and one U.S. astronaut to the ISS in September, and like the SpaceX Crew Dragon capsule that brought two astronauts, a cosmonaut, and a Japanese astronaut to the ISS in October, the Soyuz capsule has remained docked at the ISS and is, in addition to returning some of the crew to Earth in the coming weeks, meant to serve as a lifeboat in the case of an emergency evacuation. So its current leak is doubly concerning. Now, while the cause of the leak continues to be investigated, NASA stated that they have reached out to SpaceX about the capabilities of the Crew Dragon capsule to return additional crew members, or if the company could launch an empty capsule for the crew's rescue. Sending an additional Soyuz craft is also a possibility, but it's clear NASA is investigating non-Soyuz options in case the leak was caused by a hardware malfunction that could be replicated in another Soyuz craft. Now, the leak also could simply have been caused by space debris or a micrometeoroid strike from a recent meteor shower. 
As a reminder, the ISS is scheduled to be decommissioned in January 2031, and Russia, particularly since their invasion of Ukraine last year, has discussed pulling out of the international cooperation as early as 2024. Russia has also said that they'd like to send cosmonauts to China's new Tiangong space station, but international relations aside, that would be a technically tricky feat. Quoting an article from Space.com last summer, Russia's cosmodromes are located at a higher latitude than can easily reach the Chinese space station. The station's orbital inclination takes it as high as 41.5 degrees north and south of the equator, optimized to launches from Jiaquan. Space reporter Anatoly Zak reported that Russia even approached China to suggest it make the orbital inclination of the CSS higher to allow Russian involvement in the project. Currently, Soyuz launches to the CSS would need to perform a dogleg maneuver to get into the right inclination, which would require too much extra fuel, or to launch over and potentially drop spent stages on Chinese territory. A new launch vehicle could also be the answer. The other option being considered is launching crewed Soyuz spacecraft from the European Space Agency's launch center at Kourou, French Guinea, near the equator. And that path would require modifications to the launch complex to facilitate human spaceflight missions. Soyuz rockets already launch from this site, but only carrying robotic satellites. End quote. So whether or not we are truly entering a new space race, as NASA Administrator Bill Nelson says, the rest of the 20s are certain to be a crowded and transformative period of time for space exploration. At FanDuel Casino, we know the only thing better than a win is a free win. That's why we made Reward Machine, the daily free-to-play game that gives you a chance to win up to $2,000 in casino bonus. We've given away over $50 million in free bonuses, and we're just getting started. Every day at 6 p.m., you get three chances to spin the Reward Machine reels. There are three ways to win. One, match any three symbols for an instant win. Two, collect symbols each day for a chance to win weekly prizes. Or three, win up to $2,000 if you collect three trophies, FanDuel has given away over $50 million to hundreds of thousands of people through Reward Machine. So what are you waiting for? Download the FanDuel Casino app by going to FanDuel.com slash PA3 and start playing Reward Machine today. That's FanDuel.com slash PA3. No purchase necessary. 21 plus and present in PA. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable casino-only site credit that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash casino. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG. If you're lucky enough to leave your mark on the world for generations after your death, you may be celebrated in ways that honor your work. Milestone anniversaries of Shakespeare's birth and death dates bring about performances of his plays all around the world and the opening of new theaters or museums. For what would have been Harriet Tubman's 200th birthday last year, events were hosted all along the sites of the Underground Railroad and new sculptures dedicated to her honor. Gregor Mendel, the father of genetics, also would have turned 200 last year, so a team of scientists in the Czech Republic celebrated his memory in the best way they could think of, digging up his body and sequencing his DNA. Now, while someone like Shakespeare would be apoplectic at the digging up of his bones, Mendel would genuinely probably have been thrilled at this advanced application of the scientific breakthrough he pioneered. 
In fact, one of the researchers who undertook the project told NPR that Mendel specifically requested an extensive autopsy be done after his death, saying, quote, he wasn't against research on his own body, end quote. Mendel was an Augustinian friar, scientist, and mathematician whose work analyzing patterns of inheritance in pea plants laid the groundwork for modern genetics, though the far-reaching implications of his work would never be known to him. Though his work was considered important in his own time, the significance wasn't realized until three decades after his death. Mendel worked mostly in Brno and the Czech Republic, and with the bicentennial of his birth on the horizon last year, locals wondered how they could honor him. According to NPR, some early ideas included a festival, a scientific conference, or a statue. But then the director of the Brno Observatory and Planetarium wondered if Mendel, the father of genetics, had ever had his own genes tested. After scientists at the local university did some research into genetic analyses of historical persons that have been done before, and got permission from the Augustinians, the religious order Mendel belonged to and whose tomb his body was thought to be in, the project was on. The first order of business was verifying which body in the tomb was actually his. The tomb with his name also contained the names of three of his Augustinian brothers, and to the researchers' surprise, when they excavated it, they actually found five coffins. In one of the five, they found it lined with newspapers dated just shortly before Mendel died, but to verify that that was really him, the researchers got permission from local museums to swab some of Mendel's possessions, like his glasses, microscopes, a cigarette case, and his favorite books. They then compared the DNA from those items to that of the skeleton to confirm they had the right friar. You can actually see video of the skeleton, along with an assertion that the scientist had an extraordinarily large brain, in a tweet from last fall from a local news station, link in the show notes, and quoting NPR, Sequencing his DNA revealed genetic variants linked to diabetes, heart problems, and kidney disease. The variant that most intrigued plant geneticist and Mendel biographer Daniel Fairbanks was in a gene that has been associated with epilepsy and neurological issues. Fairbanks said, He suffered throughout his life from some sort of psychological or neurological disorder that caused him to have very severe nervous breakdowns. That may well have been an inherited condition, and that was a fascinating discovery that these scientists made. End quote. According to local news, Mendel's remains were returned to his tomb in November. And again, it's all a little weird, but, you know, if there is anyone from history that probably would have been cool with this, I would bet it's Gregor Mendel. Either that or he's going to haunt all of us forever now. Several times last year, I mentioned the email newsletter project Dracula Daily, which sent out parts of Bram Stoker's landmark novel corresponding with the date that each section of the epistolary novel was marked. So the book itself begins on May 3rd, and so subscribers got the complete unabridged text of everything from May 3rd in the story on that day, and so on until the novel's final entry on November 7th. One exception to keeping every everything in real time was that the novel's epilogue actually takes place seven years after the main story, but Dracula Daily's creator, Matt Kirkland, did not wait seven years to send out the epilogue. It went out in November with the rest of the conclusion to the book. However, 
Another similar project is going for the long-term commitments. Web developer and sometimes actor Phil Guyford is posting and emailing out the contents of 17th century London civil servant Samuel Pepys' diaries in real time. Pepys began keeping his diary on January 1st, 1660, and continued writing entries nearly every day for the next decade. So yes, this project will last for 10 years. And it's not even the first time Guyford has done it. He first ran the project in 2002, and then again in 2013. So with that track record, you can be guaranteed the project will actually be seen to completion, despite its long timeline. It will probably last much longer than your attention to it will, and it will certainly outlive the International Space Station, on that note. The diary itself is a fascinating piece of history and one of the most important artifacts of the Restoration Era in England. Not published until the 19th century, Pepys' diary contains eyewitness accounts of events including the Great Fire of London, the Second Dutch War, and the Great Plague of London. I'm personally most familiar with Pepys' diary for some of his accounts of Christmas and other holidays as they were celebrated in England in the mid-1600s, as well as his many accounts of the plays that he went to see in an era when the theaters had only just reopened following Puritan rule. In addition to posting Pepys' diary entries each day, project creator Guyford includes footnotes with historical context or other relevant explainers. For example, the text used is taken from a 19th century transcription of the diaries, available copyright-free via Project Gutenberg, and that version occasionally skips some parts of the diaries that were considered impolite for 19th century audiences. So Guyford, therefore, fills in these blanks where he can with excerpts from a later edition. It's all super fascinating to dig into, but if it seems a bit too much for you or you don't want to commit to reading the full entry each day, you can also follow the Diary of Samuel Pepys on Twitter, where Guyford posts each day's diary in tweet form. The first entry started on the first day of this year, so it is the perfect time to sign up or add the blog to your feed reader. You know, it's kind of cool to get in on a 10-year project within the first few days of its launch. Well, that is going to be it for me for today. I hope you have all had a very good start to the new year. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.